This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas, powered by U-Mobile. BFM 89.9, this is The Breakfast Grill. I'm Keith Kam. So Malaysia's 15th general election is definitely happening this year, with the Election Commission having set November 19th for eligible voters to head to their respective polling stations come shine or rain. Early voting will be on November 15th, while nomination will be on November 5th. So that gives all those contesting, political parties and independents alike, 14 days officially to convince the electorate why they deserve to represent the rakyat for the next five years or so. And Joining me this morning is Dr. Kelvin Yee, the Democratic Action Party, DAP's Youth Chief, also Pakatan Harapan Youth Chairman. Good morning, Kelvin. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Kelvin, let's go back <laughs> in history a little bit. GE14 in 2018 was a watershed moment indeed for Malaysian politics because we saw a coalition that did not comprise AMNO or MCA or MIC lead the federal government for the first time since Merdeka. And you were part of that winning team. So, you know, you say, as you look back with some nostalgia, what did that feel like? Oh, it was really a night of excitement. It was really historic and unprecedented. I think to be fully honest, uh, I myself didn't expect the win. But basically, it showed how people power actually prevailed and the people were victorious in terms of coming out, making their voices heard, and more importantly, setting a new foundation and a new direction for our country in 2018. So it was really, really amazing feeling. <laughs> and then what did that feel like when just as quickly the coalition collapsed and DAP ended up back on the opposite aisle again? So it's something really unexplainable. It's like when you feel an emotional high, once there is a drop, the, you feel the huge drop from there. Of course, it was very disappointing. And this was my first term as an MP, so I experienced it all. Uh, in the politics of Malaysia. But it, in a way, it actually spurred me to keep on fighting. We know that the journey of reform, the journey of changing and setting our country to the right direction, is not one-year thing or two-year thing, but the fight must go on. Was all the effort wasted in gaining voters to your side during that period of campaigning before GE14? I think it wasn't wasted. A good example that was set in G14 is the focus of the voters on the manifesto of the parties. From my understanding, even from my memory, uh, in previous elections, manifesto wasn't the fundamental or even wasn't the main criteria in an election. But this is what politics in Malaysia should be focused on rather than the rhetorics or even the sentiments, but focusing on policies that each coalition is to offer or has to offer. And this is what I think uh, we have set a good foundation. Even when PH was in power for 22 months, there were things that we did not manage to do due to the strain of time. But then we set good foundations of good governance, good foundations of anti-corruption. And if we had a chance for five years, I'm quite confident that we could have done better for the good of the country. And speaking of those 22 months, what lessons have you guys gained in terms of preparing for GE15 that now we know is happening next month? I think one of the most important lessons is we, for the first time, we were part of the government. We fully experience and understand what it meant to be government, how to deal with the civil service, to a certain extent, the bureaucracy of being in government, and even to manage policies so that it is feasible, it is targeted, it is effective in addressing the issues. So with that experience, we actually bring it even to our, as I mentioned, the manifesto that we're looking for in GE15. Because that is important, because this manifesto will set the policies and direction of our country moving forward, of what we, Pakatan 
has to offer to the people of Malaysia. Let's get into some changes that have happened between GE14 and today. Um, Undi 18 and automatic voter registration is one. Is this a boon or a bane for DAP and Pakatan Harapan? How do you see this? I think it's an untested ground. Whether it's a boon or bane for me is secondary. What was more important, especially on empowering the young people, especially 18 years old to 20 years old, to vote for the first time, the thinking and the principle behind that was that to ensure our young people has a voice. It doesn't really matter who they vote at that time. I mean, I can be totally honest, even during when we in Dublin and PH, there were certain leaders within our coalition that were against it because the general understanding of perception that young people were anti-establishment at that time, we were the establishment, that it may work against us. But again, the principle we fought for is that regardless of the vote for us, is secondary. It is our challenge whether we can capture the hearts, we can capture the minds and imaginations of the young people and first-time voters with our policies, with our offer, and of course our vision for the country moving forward. Oh, it's not just young people, but whatever it is, it's 40% increase in the number of voters compared to back in 2018. Um, you will also see even older ones who have never voted before, how will you approach them? I mean, they have seen what happened in past general elections and they still don't seem to be interested. How do you approach people like that? Actually, if we look at the statistics that was just released by EC, from 18 to 20 years old voters, there is 1.39 million. And this is out of the total of 21.17 million voters. Very significant numbers. And if we extract it a little bit, from 30 years old and below, they're looking almost a third of the total voting uh, population. So again, their votes will definitely be a game changer to change the direction of, of any winning coalitions or losing coalitions. So the challenge for us is now, this is the statistics, but whether they come out to vote or not, will then determine whether they will be the game changer or not. And that is why in Pakistan Harapan, I think one of the things that we really want to learn, really engage these people, is to ensure our messaging is directed at them in a language and maybe even a tone and a and, and medium that is familiar with them. Whether it's on social media or whether it's on, on, on the different apps that we use, but more importantly, language that they understand to treat especially young voters with respect and to engage them into the conversation. I personally, when it comes to young voters, uh, I don't like the whole old school drama style because my view is drama is very top down kind of thing. And young people don't really like to be told what to do, what who to vote for, or just listen to me kind of uh, attitude of principle. I think what we always, what we do in Pakatan Harapan, especially among Pakatan Harapan youth, is we went around, uh, to engage. We do jalajah around different states. We went, we were in Kelantan, we went to Rundanu, we were in Pahang, Kuala Lumpur, and different states. And we had uh, what we call a pentas anak muda or an open mic for young people where they themselves could give inputs, give feedbacks, give criticism, give ideas into issues that are close to their heart. And this two-way engagement is what we believe can win young people. Because young people wants to be involved. They're not just want to be told what to do, but they want to be involved in the whole democratic process. And we are serious about providing such platforms for them be part of it. Of uh, course, the messaging. Yep. No, a lot of people are, are saying that uh, this only 18 will be a kingmaker for GE15. What do you think will be the issues driving the youth vote? The, the Anecdotally, I do get a feeling that there is some political apathy. You don't see that? Yeah, there is. Again, we cannot uh, generalize all young people the same. There are a group of them, they are very actively 
political active in the sense they are very aware, they're very interested, they're very involved. There is a group that are aware but not so involved. And of course, there's another group that's apathetic. So this way, the challenges is two prong for us. I think first prong is to, in, to inform all of these young groups that they can vote. The fact of the matter, some of them we have approached that even know they could vote. Uh, uh, and, and the second, actually the second prong to it is to encourage them to check where are they voting. There's no point for them to, to know that they can vote, but they, they go to the wrong place to vote. And that, that will be a problem eventually down the line. So that's where we need to educate, inspire, and also hopefully capture their hearts and imagination. And I believe that once the campaign starts, once the machinery goes down, once the messaging intensifies, mm-hmm. we can capture, if not a uh, majority, if not most, of these groups, whether in the three categories I mentioned earlier. Another change is the anti-party hopping bill. Um, I mean, DAP has had a history of some of your MPs crossing over, which saw the fall of at least one state government before. Do you think this is the yeah. silver bullet that's going to you know, uh, restore the confidence of voters to come out and say, you know, this is who I want, and hopefully they will stay there for the next five years? <laughs> whether it is a silver bullet or not, uh, it's, it's multifactorial. I think voters' confidence, again, cannot just depend on just one thing. And hoping is an important bullet in to convince the public that um, who they vote for will stay where they are and, and they cannot just switch sides. This was, uh, this was the cancer that affected the, the, our political scenarios, especially in the past few years. But with the anti-hopping law in place, it is easier for us to convince them to trust the process, to trust the democratic system. But on top of anti-hopping, we must again, uh, uh, as, as, as politicians, lift to the things that we say, lift to the policies that we propose, and also be realistic in, in, in the solutions that we're proposing so that they themselves can believe it, know that it's feasible, know it's effective, and know that it will change their lives. But what measures are DAP and Pakatan Harapan in, in general doing to ensure that whether or not there is an anti-party hopping bill, that your, that your candidates remain loyal to the cause? I think on in the terms of DAP, I think the candidate selection is very thorough. Um, on top of that, I can personally also testify that we go through multiple trainings within the party, not just to increase our competency, but for us to really understand the ideology behind the party. For example, in DAP, we are social democrats. So we must understand what does that mean when it pales to the policies that we want to implement. So if we buy into it, if we believe into the the, the drama, we believe into the fight or the, the, the journey, then that will help instill certain loyalty uh, towards the party on top of the, the legislative anti hopping that is available. This morning on The Breakfast Grill, we have with us Dr. Kelvin Yi, DAP Youth Chief as well as Pakatan Harapan's Youth Chairman. On the other side of the break, we'll talk GE15 strategies, BFM 89.9. You are listening to the BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. Welcome back to the Breakfast Grill. We have with us this morning Dr. Kelvin Yi, DAP Youth Chief as well as Pakatan Harapan's Youth Chairman. Kelvin, between GE14 and now, there have been four state elections and uh, Pakatan Harapan has been quite bloodied over it. Even you lost your bid for Batukawa in 2021. How does this change your approach to GE15? I think um, 2021 in Sarawak election was uh, was was a, a, a time for the voters at that time to send a message to, to Pakistan Harapan. I think we have to acknowledge that there were disappointments, there were unmet expectations, uh, especially during our time in power. But I think the sentiments 
as well as the mood for this parliamentary election is a bit different. And we can, we can tangibly feel it in the ground, especially when people start to see certain reforms or certain steps that Pakistan Harapan has put in place come to fruition. I think one of the most tangible is to see a, a former prime minister being charged in jail. I mean, this is unprecedented. It's never happened in the history of the No one thought that this could happen because we always grew up with a mindset there are certain groups that are, that are untouchable. But I think from since the jailing of the former prime minister, the mood has changed. And I think with people seeing the devastation caused by corruption, the devastation caused by bad governance, the devastation caused by incompetency of a, a cabinet, an overbloated cabinet, I think people desire a change and I'm optimistic of the results and the direction of the next upcoming generations. I want to ask you as a medical doctor as well, um, uh, you were also the chair of the PSC on Health Science and Innovation. COVID-19 was a major factor. Now the EC and Health Ministry, they say that COVID-positive patients can vote. Can I just uh, get some assurance what uh, people, what voters need to do to ensure everyone's safety? I think uh, it is important, first and foremost, the principle is everybody has the right to vote and they should not be denied the right to vote uh, due to a sickness or even a handicap. And with that principle, it is important for the EC, in collaboration with the Ministry of Health, to come up with safe SOPs to ensure that all voters, not just those that are sick, uh, can come out with the confidence that they are protected and they are safe to vote. Because at the end of the day, uh, election is a democratic celebration. And a democratic celebration, the EC has a responsibility to ensure everybody comes out, as many people come out and be part of the whole process. So it is important, as much as we do not deny the rights of those that may have an illness or even handicap, it is important to ensure it is safe for the rest. And I have full trust in the Ministry of Health to come up with proper SOPs that will be uh, implemented by the EC. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's pretty straightforward, especially with the better understanding of how the virus behaves after two years in the pandemic. I'm quite sure and can give a, a strong assurance that we will be safe in the election. Kelvin, I want to pivot over to uh, your preparations for GE15. So we know when it's happening. What I'm concerned about is that the issues you are highlighting, apart from the high cost of living, bread and butter issues basically, is that we are back to corruption issues and governance. That's the same as in GE14. What are you championing this time? Um, again, when we identify the issues that's affecting our countries and the reforms that were backtracked since the Sheraton moved, Mm-hmm. we still realize that the cancer that's affecting the country is still corruption. So the answer to bad politics is good politics. And good politics is built on the fundamentals, fundamentals of good governance and anti-corruption measures. So that is still our main messaging. But it, course, didn't, it, it didn't quite... Um... It, it didn't quite translate from the last election. I mean, it's just going to be a rehash of what you guys have been fighting for from the last election. So uh, are, are there concerns that people might be tired of this? Yes, you and I know uh, that, that good governance is, is a good thing for the country. Corruption is bad, but it, it does not seem to be sinking in, right? Yeah, then, then that's the challenge for us. Then how do we translate them into a language that they will feel it uh, that they will, they will, I mean, to a certain extent, they will understand and feel it. So, so again, we cannot change the message because that is the solution that the country needs. And our challenge is to translate that so that everybody will, will in a way, understand needs and, and understand how corruption affects them. 
how due to incompetence of a cabinet uh, affects them. And this is where, again, our challenge is uh, whether we package in a nice narrative, in a, in a catchy slogan, uh, but again, the message has to be the same. Um, in terms of anti-corruption, of course, a Malaysia that is plural, a Malaysia that is multicultural, to accept everyone uh, as, as, as our own. Yeah, but voters are also very, have very short memories and they are very short-term focused as well. Right now, everyone's worried about the high cost of living, uh, high food prices. Are, are those going to be major issues? Yes, definitely. So again, the answer to this is good governance. We need ministers that are competent to address this, that have good policies to ensure the economy is properly managed, not just on a domestic level, but to instill confidence of uh, foreign investors so the FBIs can come in. We see today the ringgit dropping to what, 4.73. And this is, again, while there are certain factors out of our control, but investors' confidence is very determinant on good governance. Again, we need to package it to be a sexy slogan, but good governance is the answer for Malaysia. <laughs> GE14's battleground was social media. Where will most of the wars be fought during GE15? Social media and heart-to-heart direct engagement to the voters. Again, I think certain things may have adapted, progressed and changed, but nothing beats speaking to the voters heart-to-heart. Young voters, again, will be on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, we are living in a hyper-information era where people can get information at the click of their fingers. This is a boon and a bane. Of course, boon, boon is, is, is the issues of fake news, mm. the issues of, uh, of, of slander, issues of, of, of libel and, 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 and untruth, uh, or even half-truths. So this is something that we need to really address. Uh, have Pakatan Harapan been successful in addressing this, I have to admit we were there's much for us to improve. But I think this is where uh, our challenge lies ahead to ensure it, especially young people that are on social media get the right information. And I believe and optimistic once they get the right information, young people have the maturity to decide what is right and what is wrong. Sarawak is typically seen as a Barisan National Fixed Deposit, occasionally Sabah as well. Um, but for Sarawak, what are the issues that will drive Sarawakians to vote this time? A lot of uh, focus on Sarawak politics and Sarawak politics is on the Sabah and Sarawak rights under the Malaysian Agreement 1963. So of course, this will be one of the factors which we in Pakistan Karapan, even as a national party, we recognize and acknowledge the MN63 rights of Sabahan and Sarawak and we continue fighting for it. But at the end of the day, every normal, ordinary Sabahan and Sarawak also face cost of living issues, mm. also face high cost of living, also face uh, insecurity in the economy, also face insecurity of post-COVID-19 recovery. So these are issues that we are continuing to fight upon. As I said, we are translating the main message of good governance into local uh, 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 languages and, and something the locals can be can palatable, and it's palatable to them. But again, the message is the same, it's just how we cater it to the different communities because it affects us all the same. Also, in Sarawak, the added challenge is that there is a functioning state government there. Uh, they don't need to dissolve the assembly. This means they have deeper pockets. The same can be said for the other states that won't go to the polls as well. How do you work around this? Uh, it's always a challenge for us. And one of the reasons why uh, the GPS or, or XBN Sarawak is very strong in Sarawak is because of the machinery that's on the ground yeah. and the resources they have. We cannot deny that developmental politics money politics is very strong in these two regions and this is why the oppositions like us who have very shallow politics uh, find 
find it difficult to, to penetrate in. But again, as I said, uh, I remain optimistic that the young people are the one that maybe hopefully will be the change uh, to all this. This is a special extended breakfast grill where we have Dr. Kelvin Yee, DAP Youth Chief, as well as Pakatan Harapan's Youth Chairman. After the news, let's find out what DAP and PH's chances are like in GE15. BFM 89.9. You are listening to the BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. Welcome back to the Breakfast Grill, where we have with us Dr. Kelvin Yee, DAP Youth Chief, as well as Pakatan Harapan's Youth Chairman. He was Manda Kuching's Member of Parliament, maybe still the incumbent, we don't know. Kelvin, at a young 36 years old, you are a first-time MP. You also lost the Batukawa seat in 2021 by 5,400 votes. So that makes your tally one win and one loss. Where will you be contesting this time? <laughs> <laughs> the final decision will be, of course, based on the party. But I could, in a way, confidently say I wouldn't be too far from where I am or I'll be in the same place. <laughs> what are your plans versus what has been planned for you? I think my plans has been pretty clear in terms of even towards the party direction. To be fair, I'm already uh, aware of where I'll be contesting. But again, it's not in my position to announce yet. It will be done officially by the party leaders. And in the, in the case of Sarawak, uh, fun fact for the listeners out there, Throughout DAP has the autonomy to make the decisions in terms of seat negotiations and even candidates. And we don't have to check back with our national HQ. So my state chairman will be announcing my candidacy and my seat. How are seats allocated over there? The last time you guys contested in nine seats, right? And one six? So basically, Pakatan uh, Harapan, Sarawak, PKR, Amana, as well as uh, DAP, we have uh, open negotiations. I think our working cooperation is very positive. And basically, it's very simple. We just followed back the formula we had in the past election. And actually, we were one of the first states to actually settle our negotiations very early on. It has always been observed that PH and DAP tend to do better with a strong voter turnout. And indeed, it was shown in the past four state elections with, with most of them below 70% or thereabouts compared with the higher 80 over percent for GE14. What have you observed? Yeah, definitely. I think voter turnout has based on history, has always been favorable towards the opposition. And that is where our challenge is to, again, capture the hearts and minds of people and to, in, to in, incentivize them to come out in droves to vote. I think in several elections, um, of course, besides the voters turn out, I think the other things that we need to understand is the sentiments of politics in Sarawak and even Sabah is, is very different compared to Sarawak Malaysia. Yeah. I think in Sarawak, one of the major sentiments is the whole uh, regionalist sentiments uh, and also a certain preference for what they term as local-based uh, political parties. Uh, for Sarawakians <laughs> type uh, approach. So, so, uh, yeah, so, so it's to a certain extent an identity politics. But with that said, we need to understand where it stems from. It again stems from real dissatisfactions, whether economically or historically, on what we perceive as uh, mistreatment or unfair treatment by the federal government towards Sabah and Sarawak. Because we are a rich resource state, but yet if we look at the statistics, we are poorest, one of the poorest in, in the region, in the nation. So this is something that has to be properly addressed. People are, of course, easily drawn towards identity politics to a certain extent. And that's where this regionalism plays a role. Pakistan Harapan is often labeled, mislabeled or whatever, as a Malaya party or Smajong Malaysia party. So that is where there is certain dynamics that are a bit different, which is a challenge for us in Sarawak. But as I said, uh, for me, uh, identity politics 
we have to acknowledge it. What is more important is our messaging is about good governance. And good governance covers all, regardless of where you're from. And of course, not just good governance, competency of leadership, track records of parties. And I think DHP has exemplified and shown, even in Sarawak, we have been here for more than 44 years. We are all Sarawakians. And even though we have lost many elections before, we continue fighting for the good of Sarawakians and Malaysians as a whole. Yeah, but good governance and identity politics, it's not an easy argument to win, right? Again, it's not easy, as I said. Yeah. Uh, good governance is important. We all know it's important, but it's not as sexy as identity politics. And it's, it's to a certain extent psychological. For example, if you feel that you've been victimized or you've been mistreated, it's very easy to retreat back to your own kind. That's why, to a certain extent, identity politics sells. But you see, we recognize that while it is easier to sell identity politics, on a long term, it is detrimental for the country. And this is something for Kanan we took the hard decision that we say that our fundamental has to be a multi-racial, multi-cultural approach. Because we know if we play the short game, we may have long-term consequences to deal with. And this is where the young people play an important role because I am optimistic and I believe these are uh, sentiments that young people will reject. We want to give an alternative to say, you know, a multicultural platform works. A multicultural platform is the answer for Malaysia. A multicultural platform is the Malaysia that we want to see for all. And speaking of young people, where is Muda in all this? Why was there resistance towards working with them in the initial stages? I think uh, we must again understand uh, the process the different parties have been through. We in uh, Angkatan Muda Harapan, whether it's PKR, Pepsi, Amanah, and also APTO, uh, I think each of us went through different journeys. But four of us, we are very strong. The fact is, I can confidently say we are the strongest we have ever been, even before. Because that's why, I mean, the, the unity among these four parties is very strong. Communications is open. And, and we are actually going to launch our youth manifesto, or basically our, our Tawaran Anak Muda which we touch on policies and also solutions for young people's issues. Where does Muda come in from? The timing of it may be a bit close to the elections. There has been certain resistance on certain youth wings, which to a certain extent is understandable because they have been through a whole journey of betrayal. So there may be some level of uh, mistrust mm -hmm. and also a certain level of defensiveness in terms of who should we work with and collaborate. And this is totally understandable. So that is why there has to be a proper process and there has to be principles of collaboration uh, between the different parties. And I actually am optimistic. I believe that Muda has something to offer. It is important for us to gather people of the same heart, the same vision, that believe in the same principles against the corrupt Barisan National and of course the National. But Kelvin, if there were no set agreements as to how you guys will work and if they were to come in and contest in the same seats you guys are contesting in, that would be detrimental to both of you. Actually, there is a set agreement. Sir. Basically, we have already presented, there is a working committee that's already presented the agreements to Muda and to a certain extent PSM as well, and they have agreed upon it. Actually, the next step that we are taking right now is seat negotiations, which again, we have to recognize it's not easy. But I'm optimistic it's moving towards the, like, the right direction. Going back to your mention about identity politics, the race factor, there is no escaping the fact that race-based, worse still, religion-based parties are here to stay and their rhetoric gets cranked up to 150 come election time. 
DAP continues to be seen as a Chinese-based party, even worse, anti-Malay and anti-Islam. And um, today I even saw past calling you guys communists. This is something <laughs> your compatriots have not been able to shake off. What is going to alter this perception? Um, again, we need to continue with our narrative. We need to be stay consistent with what we fight for. Again, I think eventually people will see through the lies, people will see through the, the slander. Uh, that these parties are saying because they have nothing else to offer to the people of Malaysia rather than offering policies, rather than offering solutions on how to address it. Fact of the matter, when they were in government, I think these parties' cabinet ministers were the most incompetent in terms of doing their job. So what else can they resort to? Slander and, and of course, identity politics. For DAP, we recognize that, again, we are not a perfect party. We recognize that certain images that we may carry. But as you can see over the years, we have gone through a progression in terms of trying to improve, update, and, and progress this image. And I think in the next election, you even see more multiracial candidates being put up, young, uh, middle-aged candidates that will bring fresh ideas. And of course, even a Malay contesting in, in personal extent, a mixed zone or even a Chinese seat. So we want to break the barriers to say that you don't need a Chinese to represent the Chinese community. You don't need an Indian to represent the Indian community or a Malay to represent the Malay community. We represent Malaysia as a whole and that's what DAP believe in a Malaysia for all Malaysians. Finally, Kelvin, I'll put this to you very bluntly. What are Pakatan Harapan's chances like? You said before the break you had a tangible confidence. Yeah, actually, I can be fully honest with you. If you ask me this question maybe 10 months before or right after the general election, I wouldn't be so confident. But we felt tangible movements. We felt tangible sentiments on the ground that people are, number one, getting more excited about the election. And number two, they realize that things have to change. So I'm more optimistic today that Pakatan Harapan can stand a good chance in terms of winning the next election. And even regardless of the results, of course, certain analysts are talking about hung parliament and stuff like that. Regardless of the results, I'm confident Pakatan Harapan in our position, if we win as many seats as we have, We'll be in a good position to demand, to negotiate and to push for important reforms, which will be good for our country as a whole. So whether the outcome of the results is, as long as we strengthen, I believe the reform agenda can be pushed for and the main messaging, the main fundamentals of the governance that we fight for should be fundamental in the upcoming after even, even the next election. Dr. Kelvin Yee, DAP Youth Chief as well as Pakatan Harapan's Youth Chairman, thank you very much for your time and all the best to you. This has been The Breakfast Grill. I'm Keith Kam for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile, where unlimited potential begins. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the BFM app.